Uh, my son Jordan is a National Merit Scholar, uh, learned things very quick. If you had to count the number of hours he was sitting doing his work, he'd only be a eighth grader, but he's in college. Whereas my son that's has attention deficit, if I counted the number of hours he sat in front of a desk, he'd be a doctor somewhere. Because it isn't the number of hours, it's whether you learn the material. Welcome to another episode of What You Don't Know. I'm Rick Teeter, Superintendent of ECOT. Our guest this week is Representative Kyle Kaler, the state representative from the Springfield area of Ohio. Representative Kaler is here to talk about his experience with education and raising his large family and how one-size-fits-all education is not good education policy here in Ohio. Well, welcome, Representative Kaler. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about your background, even prior to becoming a state rep. Well, I come from Springfield area, born and raised there. Uh, come from a blue-collar family. We uh, run a manufacturing business in Springfield called the KK Tool Company, and I'm a part of that really odd situation where I work with six brothers and sisters in a family business my father started back when I was in high school. Oh, wow. And uh, that's not originally what I wanted to do. I, I grew up in the family. We worked uh, all through high school, but I went to college so first in my family, uh, seven Seven kids in our family. I'm towards the end, and I'm the first one in my family. As far as I can go back to, you know, a grandmother, grandfather, grand, great-grandparents, nobody's gone to college. I'm on the first to graduate from college. So I'm a little bit different in that aspect, but uh, did work for uh, – government contractors for about seven years out of college and then came back to the family business and, and sort of fit in with, uh, with all the other siblings uh, doing manufacturing. We do metal stamping, precision machining for the uh, trucking industry, uh, heavy equipment, and uh, appliance industries. So that's a little bit where I come from as far as who I am, but uh, I've been serving in the Ohio Hospital the last two years, starting my second term, served on education as well as economic workforce development and the Ag Committee, and I'll come back. And so far we've learned that I'll be the vice chair for Ag uh, for the 132nd General Assembly. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, so you come from a large family. Yes. And you have a large family. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your own family. Well, uh, it's sort of interesting because because for me, it, being the first one to graduate from college in my family, I married uh, a, uh, my wife who is uh, comes from a uh, family where everybody went to college. Her father's a psychologist, was a professor at Wittenberg University. And so in her family, everybody was expected to go to college, where in my family, nobody was expected to go to college. So we have an interesting, uh, we're, we're a good team. And we have five kids. Uh, right now, their ages, we're in the odd years. They're 13, 15, 17, 19, and 23. And so we've got a, a few that have graduated couple that are still in school. Um, and it's something odd. Uh, I know when uh, we were younger uh, and before we had kids, we really didn't intend to home educate our children. But as my wife and some of her friends got to be the, have our kids in preschool, we thought, you know, let's try this. And so we've decided to home educate our kids. We didn't know how long we'd stick with it. Um, and here we are, uh, gra- we're graduate one again this year, our fourth this year, and uh, one is currently uh, 15. And so he's a sophomore in high school. So you have been uh, an, what I'm going to call an early practicing advocate right. of school choice. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's one of those things where I don't think um, – I think one of the things we fall into in education is we see something that's successful for one person. We try to force everybody into it. I'm not going to tell you that home education should be uh, the choice for everybody, but for us it's worked. And, and the one thing we've learned, and, and I know I've shared with you in the past, is that each of our children is, is different. I mean, from day one, you know, I, my first 
oldest daughter, shy, didn't want to be up in front of people. So we, when we started to educate her, we did things a little bit different than we did with our, our middle child, our, our first boy who wanted to be in front of everybody all the time. But all of them have learned differently. Um, I know my, my second daughter didn't want to read uh, very early, whereas I'm trying to teach her to read when she's like six or seven, and her four-year-old brother is sitting behind me correcting you know, her when she's not getting things right. And I, I bet that didn't go over well no, at all. No, it didn't. But, but you turn around to him and go, do you want to learn to read? And here I am teaching a four-year-old how to read, and he's reading before she is. Everybody's at a different pace. Everybody's at a different schedule. Um, one of my sons, my, my fourth child, Jacob, uh, is one of those kids that can only learn when he's moving. Usually his mouth, or just running around the room. If he's if he's so learning, sitting in a classroom in straight lines it would and a kill desk him. five hours a day wouldn't be the it, thing. It would kill him. And wow. and 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 the thing is, is my second son or my second son Jacob is that way. My first son just he loves to read. He, he'll read everything. He's the mathematician. He's getting a degree and he's going to be a um, actuarial. Oh, uh, wow. Loves statistics. That uh, is not for me. No. And, and his <laughs> and his sister, his older sister, would be that would that would kill her. Um, at the same time. Our fifth child, if he was in a classroom somewhere, he'd be considered attention deficit. He he really needs to have someone focus him. Some sometimes my wife will put a, a a board like this up around him at the dining room table just so he can focus on his math because anything will distract him. So you know everybody's different. Everybody's different. After two years of uh, being on the state uh, house education committee. Um, what have you seen uh, play out over the last two years, kind of accomplishments of, of the House education? What's working? What, what have you seen put into place that, that maybe has been a success over the last two years? That's right. I think parental involvement. If, if there's one thing that I know from home education, whether even in charter schools, private schools, um, when parents get involved, that changes the dynamics of learning. Um, I think that idea of... In some of the schools that are a little bit rougher, um, under uh, underprivileged kids, you, you know, we have a grandparent that dropped out in ninth grade, and a, their child grew up, dropped out in ninth grade, and when they have a child, they think, you know, that's what we do. When charter schools came along, uh, home education has grown. Uh, anytime a parent can somehow be involved, whether it's just saying, I'm not going to send my child to the same school that we've all gone to. I'm going to choose this charter school over here, or I'm going to choose to home educate, or I'm going to take my ed choice money and go to a private school. Every time a parent decides to get involved, that changes the dynamics. I don't care if your kid is gifted or developmentally disabled. They're going to learn more when a parent or a guardian somehow begins to make a choice to say, I'm going to be involved. Okay, Representative, with that being said, what do you see uh, moving forward as education policy in the state? What do you think we need to continue to work on or, or as a committee we need to make better policy? What, what do we need to do moving forward? I think we have to be careful that every time we see something that's successful, we think we can replicate it. Replication's great. If, if something works, that's good. But um, just because I'm home educating doesn't mean everybody should home educate. Just because one charter school works well, that's great. Um, I'm on the straight A fund. We look for innovative ideas there. Um, a lot of times we make a mistake that just because, you know, one idea works in this school district with this type of child, that we have to replicate that and force every school to do that. Um, going to ECOT graduation last year, I saw you guys graduate 2,500 students. It would be very easy for me to say, oh my gosh, there's no other school district in the state of Ohio that's graduating that many seniors. 
we need to get rid of everything and just do it exactly like ECOT. That's not the case. You know, we need to be able to say, you know, this works here. Why does it work? And what have you hit upon that is causing you to be successful with your students? And, and say, how can we allow school districts, whether they're charter schools, private schools, public, but regular traditional public schools or home schools, to take advantage of that idea, to, to educate educate the educators um, on what's working in other areas. It's more important not to force somebody to replicate something that worked, but to let them see that it did work and what they can do. I don't know if it make, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and I think that goes to the not one size fits all doesn't that, work exactly. in any situation. Exactly. Um, I mean, it doesn't work for my children. I, I can't see what I did with my one child and say, you know what, this worked with him. We're going we're gonna to force the next child to do the exact same thing. Well, it, and Ohio is a very diverse state. I mean, we have rural areas of the state. We have suburban. We have urban. And I think one of the things that, that's went on for a number of years is we have a Department of Education that wants to treat everyone the same. And quite honestly, I've, I grew up in a rural area and taught in a rural area, and now I've come to the city. Right. Things are quite different. Um, one size, a, a policy where one size fits all just doesn't work in anywhere in education. Right, and and a lot of times the techniques we use are because we're in a classroom with thirty students. They come from all diverse backgrounds. You don't know if you this child's eight today, or if this child has, has slept last night. And so we say, you know, we're going to do something to try to test them. I, one of the things that I, when we first got involved in educating our children, um, I heard a lady say, you know, I don't ever have my child write a book report. Well, I, I grew up going to you know, a Catholic school where we wrote book reports all the time. And she made this statement, it never hit me. She goes, when you're in school, the reason you write a book report is to prove to the teacher you read the book. She says, when you're educating your child at home, and I see the child reading the book, sitting on the couch, I don't have to have them write a book report to prove to me they read the book. They read the book. And so a lot of times the things we do in a traditional school is just to prove to the teacher that the student did the work that was assigned. When I'm home educating or when you're doing, you know, uh, charter school education, especially electronic classroom, um, I, I just care whether the student learned the material. I don't care how long it took them or, you know, whether they spend 920 hours in a desk or 920 hours in front of a computer. My goal is to teach the child the material. If he learns it, he can do it in one minute. I, I was thinking the other day, uh, my son Jordan, is a National Merit Scholar, uh, learned things very quick. If you had to count the number of hours he was sitting doing his work, he'd only be a eighth grader, but he's in college. Whereas my son that has attention deficit, if I counted the number of hours he sat in front of a desk, he'd be a doctor somewhere. Because it isn't the number of hours, it's whether you learn the material. You know I couldn't agree more. I, I understand. And, <laughs> and, and the other part of that is... and. So, you know, we graduated uh, 2,490 students last year. I think it's all those students had to pass all the requirements of the state. So it's kind of inconsequential to me if they spent 920 hours in front of their computer, if they met all the requirements to pass their classes and pass all state tests. Absolutely. Absolutely. My, my son, that, that's a National Merit Scholar, he went to college on a full ride. But his junior and senior year of high school, he spent traveling all over the country, working with a group called Team Pack, teaching uh, uh, government classes to other high school students. He didn't spend any time in a classroom. His classroom was state capitals all over the United States. That's where he was learning, and that's where he was teaching. He learned to public speak that way. He learned all about government. That's, that's where he learned most of his information. Well, that's interesting. You know, the, uh, Governor Kasich 
earlier this week spoke uh, downtown Columbus to a group and had a quote that I thought was really interesting, and it was, don't let education get in the way of learning. And I thought, that should be our goal across this state. Let's not set a, a bunch of rules in place, whether it be the legislature or the Department of Ed, that, that put learning behind education. What you just said of getting kids out, getting them involved in the community or in the workplace, I mean, as a business owner, I'm sure that you're always looking for hardworking kids coming out. And probably no matter what type of vocational training that they've had, you're going to do your own training plan with them as well. So, and, so and, and every kid is different. Their aptitude is different, what they're drawn to. I know I think I shared with the folks at ECOT uh, back in, what was it? August. Back when the school started. Yeah, mm-hmm. back in August. Um, when I came out of high school, I, I, I had no intention of going to college. I, I remember being in, my, in April of my senior year, and everybody's talking about where they're applying to college. I had no idea. But it was, it was in my senior year that a math teacher, this is 1980, 79, 80, when there were no personal computers, and they decided to teach a computer class, which was basically on paper. The math teacher, Mr. Wysong, said, we're going to teach a computer class. We're going to offer it for six months. Anybody who wants to try it can do it. Um, I, I worked in a machine shop through high school for my father, paying for my private education at a Catholic school. Sure. Um, I, and I was not an A student. I was barely a B student, probably a C plus student, but he decided to offer a computer class all on paper. He would grade it. You know, we would write programs that didn't go in a, an existing computer. But I remember all the kids that could memorize stuff, that could knew the body parts and the periodic tables, they, they would always get A's on everything and I would get C's. But we took this computer class and it was basically sequential instruction. That's what computer programs are, telling a computer what to do and then having it do it real fast for you. I took it, and I, I, was, I was getting 100, and all the kids that could memorize the periodic tables were flunking. And that's when I realized I had an – that's when I decided to go to college and take computer science. Fast forward six years later, I'm working with artificial intelligence for the Air Force doing data analysis. How did that happen? It's because somebody came along and said, hey, you're good at this. The challenge I see with uh, education in Ohio is we're still educating you know, hundreds of thousands of students. It's hard to be that personal with every student. But by giving parents the choice for them, the parent that knows the child better than anybody else, if they can get involved and make a choice and say, I see something in this kid that I think this charter school over here will help or this private school over here will help. Or maybe if I teach him at home, uh, if we give them the ability to make that choice, we're going to see more kids excel and like the like the governor said what, what was the quote again uh, let's not let education get in the way of learning stand Absolutely. in the way of learning and I, yes. I thought was powerful yeah yeah well thank you representative Kaler. now i want to move on to rick's raves this week we want to spotlight ecot student mayra emmy lopez she was selected for the 2017 ywca bright futures leadership program the bright futures leadership program participants are chosen from high school juniors who show incredible promise both in and outside the classroom. She will join other future leaders in workshops on social justice, advocacy, and leadership, and will be able to participate in Women of Advancement VIP Luncheon on April the 5th and the Susan G. Komen Race for the Cure on May 13th. Mayra has a 3.42 GPA and hopes to be a lawyer and end racial discrimination one day. 
congratulations, Mayron. We wish you all the success. And I think that 3.42 GPA is probably higher than mine or Representative Kaler's <laughs> when we were in high school. So congratulations. <laughs> so thank you once again to Representative Kaler for being with us this week. Make sure to check out this episode and past episodes by searching for us on Facebook or on iTunes. Just search for ECOT or What You Don't Know. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back soon for another episode of What You Don't Know.